in the high school, and uh, Mark Calversmith is going to take uh, the second installment of our new series. Uh, what's my shirt say? Say it out loud. That's right. That's all we do around here. Everything, every dime we give, every prayer we pray, uh, everything we do is simply a loving God back. And the next three weeks, starting today, we're going to look at three very specific ways, investments you can make in your life in loving God back. And that is with your time, your talents, and your treasure. And Pastor Mark's going to teach on loving God back with your time today. Welcome, Mark. Go get him, buddy. Well, normally uh, what we would do is start with the Scripture, which is what we almost always do. But I'm going to do it a little differently today. Uh, we're going to talk about medieval pseudoscience. You think I'm kidding? No, no. We're going to talk about medieval pseudoscience. Are you ready? Okay. Before there was modern science, there was medieval science, pseudoscience. And the goal of medieval science, which was called alchemy. Does anyone know the goal of alchemy? What were they all about? What were they looking to do? What were they trying to, to discover? They were looking for a substance which would turn base metals, particularly lead, into gold. They were looking for the Midas touch. What else were they looking for? They were also looking for a liquid that when anything was immersed into it, it would dissolve that substance. A universal solvent, they called it. They were looking for the universal solvent. They never found either. But one of them was before their eyes all the time. One of them comes so close to being the universal solvent that we might as well call it the universal solvent. And it was there before their eyes all the time. And in all of their searching, they never found it. What was that substance? It was water. As long as there have been people, there's been water. But they never saw it. They never saw it for what it was. Now, interestingly enough, there's something right before our eyes that can turn almost anything into whatever we need or want. And we don't see it for what it is, but it's before our eyes every minute of every day. Before we go on to what that is, I want to take another rabbit trail for a moment, and I want to talk about injustice. Life is inherently unfair. Have you figured that out? <laughs> Life is inherently unfair. Some of us are born into wealth, others into poverty. Some leave the womb with a set of genes that will lead them to the Super Bowl, and others with, with a set of genes that repeatedly leads them to the couch. Yes, it's true. Some are born with great minds and others with weak ones. Most unjust of all, some of us are born, and it's hard for me to say this, emotional, but some of us are born with a full set of 
a full head of hair, which hair is going to last them a lifetime and others of us heartbreaking. No matter how you spin it, talents and abilities are not distributed equally. Given this inherent unfairness of life, wouldn't it be great if God really did give us a substance that we could use to transform it into all the things in life that we need and that we want? Well, he has. What do we all have an equal measure of that we can transform into almost anything else? Time. Time is the great equalizer in the unfairness of life. We are all given exactly the same amount of it, and we can transform that time into pretty much anything. In fact, we do. We are... We are transforming time every minute of every day into something other than time. What are we doing right now? What are we transforming our time into in this very moment? Worship, understanding, knowledge, friendships, insight, intimacy with God. And we all have the same amount of it every day. I could make enough money with my time to go out and get a hair transplant. Time is the great equalizer. When we get to heaven, now this is important, when we get to heaven, we'll not be judged or rewarded on the basis of how gifted we were. We will be judged on the basis of what we did with the giftedness he gave us. And what we did with the giftedness he gave us depends on how we choose to use our primary resource, which is time. Now, this is interesting because what this means is that God judges fairly. He has only one question on the exam of life. What did you do with your time? And everyone faces the same question. What did you do with your time? Think about this. Time is heavenly currency. Time is heavenly currency. We even think of it as currency. We say, how did you spend your time? Isn't that interesting? How did you... See, it's your most precious resource. When you run out of it, your life is over. It is your life. Time is your life. It is your most precious resource. And what you do with it determines your life. And more significantly, what you do with it determines your eternity. The quality of your eternity is directly related to how you spent your time in this life right now. This is an incredibly liberating concept. (laughs) It means I don't have to compare myself to other people because the question for each of us is exactly the same. How did you spend your time? I don't have to fear being less gifted 
I don't have to fear not having the same resources as someone else. But I also don't get the right to consider myself better than others because I might be more gifted. The gifting doesn't mean a thing. What did I do with my time? So everyone's on the same playing field. Isn't that interesting? God is so just. The unfairness of unequally distributed gifts is completely rendered irrelevant by the principal question of how did we spend our time? And everyone has the same opportunity. But with this great freedom, not having to judge or be judged, not having to worry about what I, what I wasn't born with or what I should have been born with, but with this freedom comes an overwhelming responsibility. I will be accountable when I get to heaven for how I spent my time. Sobering, isn't it? So if we've got this responsibility and privilege and opportunity, wouldn't it be helpful if we had some sort of principle to apply to most of the way we spend most of our time? We need a principle. We need some way of looking at time to decide how to prioritize it, how to distribute it. What's the wisdom in how we live our lives with our time? How can we spend it in a way that makes the most for Him? Because we're here to glorify Him. So our time is to glorify Him. What principle can we use to understand how to spend our time? And the answer is right in front of us. We should spend it in a way that's most consistent with Him. You see, if we're glorifying Him, how we spend our time should have a great deal to do with His nature. In fact, how we spend our time should really illustrate and explain and reveal to the world and present to the world his very nature. So let's look at his very nature for a moment and take our cues from that. How do we spend our time in a way that is most consistent with his quintessential nature? It's a big word. Quintessential means the act. The, the, the irreducible core of something or someone at its absolute most basic. What is God's quintessential nature? Hmm? Well, let's take love. Just very quickly. If God is love, what must God be to be love? He must be more than one. Saying, I'm so full of love, I love nothing at all. This morning I am so full of love, I'm overwhelmed by love, I love nothing at all. Is a meaningless sentence. If there is to be love, there's a lover and a lovee. There's a lover and a beloved. Love is always focused on someone other than the self. Well, it should be to be loved. So God, in order to be love, must be more than one. And how many is he? And what human institution does three in love with one another describe? A family. God is a family. God is a relationship. God's quintessential nature is relational. He is a relationship. Hello? 
right? So, what principle shall we apply to how we live our lives? How do we spend our time? Relationally on relationships. Everything else is secondary to relationships. God's a relational God. We want, to, we want to reveal His relational nature to the world. How we spend our time should be all about relationships. Now, that should have just transformed a bunch of our marriages. And that should have just transformed our family life together. And it should have given us a new perspective on our work and what we do for eight hours or ten hours a day. Relationships. Listen, what's the only thing that you're going to take with you to heaven? Your relationship with Him and your relationship with the people that also got there. And what is heaven but an ongoing relationship, series of relationships that merely go deeper and deeper over time into eternity forever? Guys, I got this naive picture of heaven as it sort of looks like Switzerland. And there's all, it's mountainous and beautiful with rivers and there's all these little villages and towns. There's no like, other than the New Jerusalem, there's no mega cities. It's like, it's like just very, I get this pastoral picture in my head of how beautiful it is. And everybody's got kind of a log cabin kind of thing. And there's a front porch on the log cabin looking out over the stream or up at the mountain. And for the first thousand years in heaven, you spend it in one little community and you sit on each other's porches at night and you play guitar and you sing hillbilly songs and stuff like that. And you do barbecued ribs and, and, you know, it's just you do that for a thousand years till you know everybody in that little town. And then you go two miles down the road and you move to that little town and you get to know everybody there for a thousand years till you're really tight and really close and you've got this great sense of family and then the next thousand years after that you go to another town and you go all through all the towns of heaven and it takes you 10 or 15 or 20 or 30,000 years and then you come back to the first one and make your old friends again and it just goes on and on and on and on it's just it's just a relationship with God and with people that goes on and on and on forever doesn't that excite any of you makes me like really happy So if we're going to decide how to spend our time, relationships become the most important consideration. They're our guiding principle. How do I spend my time in ways that will deepen and enhance the relationships in my life? Now, let's divide relationships in our life into three principal relationships. Are you ready? Everyone... This is a hint. Everyone who's a Christian has these three relationships in their life. What's the most important one? Your relationship with God. Right? That's your defining relationship. Your relationship with God. What's the second one? Others. Others. Subcategory. Wife, husband, sister, brother, mom, dad, friends, faith community. The people in your life. 
Number one is God. Number two is the people in your life that he has given you to know and to love. Right? What's the third relationship? There's only one left. With yourself. There's only three categories. God, others, and me. And so when we divide up our time, how are we going to divide it? If we were into justice, we would go in thirds. God gets a third, other people in my life get a third, and I get a third. And you know what? That would work. That would probably work pretty well. But how does it normally work? Put some numbers on how it normally works in, in my life. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? When you look at it that way. Well, let's get down to the Bible. Our verse, it's only one, it's really short. John's already quoted it. Really glad I heard it. Bible tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. What this verse is saying, it, it, right, right, right at the draw near, draw near, that's, that's in the imperative. God's saying, you draw near to me and then I will reciprocate by drawing near to you. The onus, the activity is on us to commence the process of drawing near. Now, there's a logical conclusion from this verse, and that is this. If you don't take the initiative to draw near to him, he's not going to draw near to you. So sitting in church and saying, I'm waiting... Lord, I'm waiting. Glory balls from heaven. You can drop them now. On me. Here. Doing nothing. And that's all I've done all week. I just showed up. And I'm really thinking about the playoffs this afternoon, more about my sermon. That's why it's coming across so scattered. He's put the onus on us. And I'm wondering, is this because he's a Hollywood star who's insecure and has to have an entourage around him all the time that's worshipping him and telling him how great he is? No, he's put the onus on us to seek him because it is good for us to seek him. The process of seeking him alone is a transforming process. Merely the search for him changes us. What does the search for Him do? It increases our hunger for Him. It, it involves the whole person. We become active. We have to make choices. We have to apply our whole selves to the pursuit of God. We can't sit there idly, passively saying, Come and get me. I'm available. No. The more we search for Him, the more we spend time waiting on Him, the more we set aside time for Him, the more our hunger and desire for Him grows and the more satisfied we are when He shows up and draws near to us. 
and it produces perseverance, which is the most important character trait for getting through life. There is no success without perseverance. He's teaching us perseverance right in the action of seeking Him. Creating strong character within us as we're drawn to Him and as we're drawing near to Him. Here's the truth. Our relationship with God will only be as good as the time we commit to it. There's no shortcut. It's all the... Like, it's like, come on, it's like any relationship. Friendships fade when they're not renewed. Friendships fade when we don't spend time together, when we don't communicate, when we don't go out of our way to work on the relationship. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of heart. Well, what does this mean? He's our primary relationship. What does this mean in practice? Do we cut out everything we enjoy and become monks and nuns? No. You know why? Because our relationship with ourselves is one of the relationships that God created and blesses. So he's not saying to us, I expect you to spend every minute of every day conversing with me. What it does mean is that our relationship with him should have first place most of the time. So when we, when we question how we spend the rest of our time, we should ask this question, does how I'm spending the rest of my time encourage or discourage my primary relationship with him? And that doesn't mean you don't have any fun. And that doesn't mean you never watch TV. And that doesn't mean you don't go to movies or do sports or anything else. But what, we re- what it really means is I should really cut out how I spend my time that damages my relationship. Isn't it interesting? We don't even have to decide, define sin as sin. All we can do is simply define it as that which impairs my relationship with God. Because he doesn't care about sin other than that it affects his relationship with you and your relationships with others. He's not a sin-centered God. He's a relational love-centered God. But he judges those things as inappropriate or wrong that somehow impair the primary purpose of our life, which is to love him and love others and love ourselves. Isn't it interesting how freeing it is to see him as a relationship and the purpose of our lives as a relational purpose? What does it mean that our relationship with him should have first place? Well, it means, firstly, that we've got to be ruthless about this. Because the worst part of ourselves is against spending time with God. Did you know that? The worst part of your nature wants to have nothing to do with spending time with God. When it comes to carving out time to be with God, my biggest enemy is me. And not just myself, because God's greatest enemy does not want me spending time with God. So he will become my personal secretary to remind me of all the other important things I must do today before I sit down to be with God. Isn't the devil helpful? 
And then he will remind me of all the distractions. All the good. And usually, by the way, usually most demonic distractions are good things. Because we're Christians. And, 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 you know, if he says, hey, rather than spending time with God this morning, you should you should go and rob a 7-Eleven. It probably he's going to fail on that. So he'll give you good things rather than the best thing. Maybe a project at work that needs attention. Or maybe more time spent with your wife or kids or fixing the house. Or maybe just some good, clean rest watching the playoffs. Whatever it is, it's not as important most of the time as spending time in stillness with God. Are you all guilted up? Good. I'm about to let you off the hook. But we've got to get real practical first before you get off the hook. The only way this, this prioritizing our time is going to work if, is if we get honest with ourselves about how we are already wasting our time. So in our world today, brothers and sisters, people that used to be my friend, until just a few moments ago, in our lives as we see them today, what is the biggest waste of time that we're all caught up in? Who said, who said Facebook? Social media, guys. I, I went and I went after the stats. I thought, if I'm going to bring up this pet peeve, I need to know what I'm talking about. Well, here's a survey from 2015. That's three years ago, and things have gotten worse since then. That the average American spends one hour and 40 minutes a day on social media. An hour and 40 minutes. The number for women is much higher than for men. And young adults use their smartphones. Young adults use their smartphones for an average of five hours a day. Listen, if I were a legalistic leader right now, I'd tell you that you're going to hell. And if you want to not go to hell, here's what you got to do, brothers and sisters. You've got to burn your computer, burn your tablet, and your not-so-smartphone. But I'm not that kind of leader. And God's not that kind of God. So I'm going to give you a way to bring a priority to your life that's going to bless you. And it's only reasonable, and it's not outrageous. And I'm going to practice, well, I already do practice it myself, because I got in the habit. How about this? Before you go to use any kind of social media. You find a quiet place to sit with God to be still for 20 minutes. Come on, come on, come on. Use your imaginations. Is this doable? Of course it's doable. It's tithing, you see. You're saying, I'm going to take some of my time and I'm going to give it to my relationship with Him first before I go on Facebook and get involved in political discussions. Can you see how your Facebook interaction when that moron at the office posts this thing about politics and you just want to tear them apart, but 
but something strange has happened to you. You just came from time with God and you're filled with peace and light and love. And you just say, I'll leave him alone. Can you see how that would transform all the other relationships in your life? Kelly doesn't like to watch football with me because I get mad and I yell. The word moron keeps popping up, particularly with bad tackling. I can't tolerate bad tackling, and I'm seeing too much of it these days. There's a, the devil is busy in the NFL, and mostly it's bad tackling. She, she, she just says, I'll watch football with you, but not if you're going to yell at the TV. I say, if I can't yell at the TV, how am I going to watch football? But what I find is that if I have had my quiet time, I don't yell as much. I yell somewhat less. You see, the time we spend with God changes us to be more relationally minded. We actually end up more loving because of it. More conscious of His presence. We carry His presence into more and more places that we go. Because we tithed our time to Him first and that readjusted the rest of the day. And I'm not talking about hours. I'm talking about 20 minutes. To sit down and get still with your Bible and a notebook. And just pause and reflect. I'm here to be with God right now. Oh, Lord, there's this psalm. My eyes are not proud and I'm not haughty and I don't concern myself with great matters that are too much for me because I've stilled and quieted my soul within me like a weaned child at its mother's breast is my soul within me. The purpose of that 20 minutes is to come to a place where we've let go of all the things that are too big for us. And all the roles and expectations for the rest of the day. And we've just laid them down and said, I just want to be with you. I just want to be like a small child. Being a well-fed, fully fed, satisfied small child in the arms of her mother. I just want to be like that with you. And if there's anything you want to say to me today, I have my pen and I have my notebook. And if there's anything you want to say to me today, I'm listening. I won't talk every time you do it, but he will talk more often than you think. Things he says to you will change your understanding of yourself. You'll have a better relationship with you because of what he said to you about his heart for you. You'll have a better relationship with every other person you come across that day, including the people you value the most, because you heard what he had to say about them. You picked up some of his heart. Only took you 20. Then you take that, you spend that installment of him throughout the rest of the day. And you might by 4 o'clock in the afternoon need to another 10 minutes of just... Because you know what the rest of the day can do.
Spend some time listening for what he might say to you. Spend a little bit maybe reading your Bible. And once you've established the 20-minute habit, try expanding it to half an hour. Do this for several months and then look at how your other relationships are going. Do this and you will probably never quit. Okay? Close our eyes. I want to do a little exercise with you. I want you to see in your average day and see yourself spending 20 minutes in stillness. Just picture yourself with a cup of coffee in a quiet place where you're comfortable. You haven't turned on your computer. You haven't gone to social media. And I'm not telling you not to go to social media. We're just putting it in its rightful place. If you haven't turned on your computer, find a calm period of 20 minutes and you just sit in your favorite place with a cup of coffee. You start to let go. You acknowledge all the roles in your life. You acknowledge all the expectations and the things you have to do. But you don't dwell on them. You just let them go and you say... Father, I'm not here for that right now. I'm just here to be with you. You'll help me with that later, but I don't want to think about that now. I just want to be with you. Then you say, how are you here for me right now? Father, how are you here for me in this moment right now? You listen and you wait. Then you sense peace. Little, little bit of peace in your heart. You say, thank you. Then the peace increases a little. Then you, you notice that those things I've been worrying about, they just don't seem to matter right now. They're just sort of gone. And they're, they're still there as facts, but they, they're not bothering me right now. I'm just experiencing his peace. Then you say thank you. Thank you for your peace. He says it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to give you my peace. I love to be with you. It makes me so happy that you set aside time for me. Can we do it tomorrow? Can we do it before you go to bed tonight? How do you feel?
Yeah, I think the uh, digital invasion has done more damage to our spiritual walk than maybe anything I can think of ever. The discipline of not turning your phone on the first thing and checking social media uh, is critical to our spiritual health. Just critical. Uh, these tools are supposed to be for us, not against us. So I, I, I pray the strength of Christ into you. The Bible says God has given us a spirit of love and power and a sound, undisturbed mind. So we can control it. I want to give my daughter's testimony one more time because some of you uh, didn't hear it. You weren't here yet. Um, also, I want to get it recorded. Uh, the reason I want to share this is because it unexpectedly ties so beautifully into what Mark just taught. And it's evidence that God is answering our fasting and prayers as a church, our 30 for 30. Praying uh, 30 minutes a day, being in the Word and prayer. And jumping on the fasting calendar, which you can sign up for still, because the month's not over yet. As we love God back with our time, our fasting, our prayers, seeking Him. And as a father, you know, especially as a pastor, my fear for my children is they'll grow up in church. And not know Jesus. Because you can be in the environment, but never connect with Him on a personal level. So my primary prayer for my children is an encounter with Christ. So they can have their own experience with God. And not be telling the testimonies of their mom and dad, but they have their own testimony. So this little, I call it popcorn kernel that popped. I look for those as a pastor. In our congregation, I look for these kernels that pop. Answer prayer here, answer prayer there, answer prayer there. So this is so significant. Um, because she had her own little kernel pop. And uh, so, um, she uh, was dealing with serious anxiety and not being able to get rid of it. And it's keeping her up at night. She can't sleep. So she goes to my wife and asks her, which I didn't know, Hey, Mom, what should I do about my anxiety? Because my, my wife is very pragmatic. She's like the book of Proverbs on two legs. I mean, she's full of pra- practical wisdom. So she'll give her some strategy. What she told her, she said, what you really need to do is get into the Bible. So then she came to me and she asked me, Dad, what scriptures could I read on peace? So I thought about it and gave her Psalm 55, 22, and Matthew chapter 6. So she's at school and she texts me this. I have a crazy story, Dad. I text back. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. Well, she couldn't wait, so she texts me. Last night you told me Matthew 6 and Psalm 55. So before I went to bed... I went upstairs and read them, and for whatever reason, I decided to put my Jesus Calling devotional to see what the day's devotion was. The devotional was on trust, and the two verses were Psalm 55 and Matthew 6. She texted, amazing moment, and got great sleep. You see, she could have remained in her anxiety. But when she turned toward God... God responded. That's the point. We can run around our whole lives freaking out like we all do. But once we turn and we choose Him, you may not experience something in the immediate, but somewhere in the day, somewhere in the week, somewhere in the month, He's going to be communicating back with you and it's going to be a sincere 
real connection, you're going to say, hey, he's responding to me. And he'll keep wooing you. And then you get into a life where, Mark, I know you agree with this, you don't have to break it up into a third, third, and third. You literally begin living a life of fluidity where that morning devotion sets the course, but all throughout the day it's so easy to talk to him and talk to you back right in the middle of a sports game that you're actually playing. Right in the middle of your work day. Right in the middle of rush hour traffic. This communication becomes so natural and so normal and you're hearing them all the time. And now you're walking with God. And that's, that's the goal. So, let's all stand. Next week, we're going to be looking at loving God back with your talents. He's given every one of you a gift or multiple gifts. The next week, loving God with your treasure. Jesus said where your money is, that's where your heart is. Um, And then we'll be done with our series, but we will not be done loving God back. Our desire is that this truth sink deep into our hearts and sink deep into our congregation's heart. That it becomes the heart of who we are. We're just loving God back. We're thankful people. You can even buy a t-shirt out front. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are so good and so patient that when we spend more time on social media with you, you're not mad, a bit sad, but you give us time and you woo us and draw us. So we pray and we dedicate our time to you this week. Lord, I pray that people's devotional time with you increases significantly this week and that you respond to us and the joy level goes up in this house. The peace level goes deep in this house. Our faith gets wider and broader and you start proving to us that you respond to those who draw near to you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said.